Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Canfield. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. Hi, everybody. I'm Marissa Bishop, and today we'll be talking to you about the draft for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. So if you are not aware, Roe v. Wade was a decision the Supreme Court made in 1973 that ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. So this kind of made a national protection, a constitutional, if you will, protection over Roe v. Wade. And it restricted states to make excessive bans over abortion policies. Now, this draft, it was the only draft in modern history to be leaked to the public before the Supreme Court has come to a final decision. And this draft was made by Justice Samuel Alito. And it basically, in short, will disregard the constitutional protection, which will make the power of if I can if a woman could have an abortion in each state, change it over to a decision of the state rather than a decision of the government. And it will protect any um, national protection over abortion. This has, this has sparked a national division over abortion within the past week. There has been protests, both pro-choice and pro-life outside the Supreme Court. And they have been mostly peaceful, resulting in just a few fights um, planned, planned, planned Parenthood has had a major stance there to, to protect that their own organization's right to keep giving out safe contraceptions. Now, 26 states um, have already had trigger laws and are likely to ban abortion when Roe v. Wade is potentially overturned. These states include Alabama, who it's projected that they'll have a near total ban. Arizona, Arkansas, who also says that they're going to have a near total ban. Georgia, who will have probably have a six week ban. Idaho, who also most likely have a six week ban. I- Iowa, who will also have a six week ban. Kentucky, with another six week ban. Louisiana, with a near total ban. Michigan, um, Mississippi, with an another six-week ban, Missouri with an eight-week ban, North Dakota with a six-week ban, Ohio with a six-week ban, Oklahoma with another six-week ban, South Carolina with a six-week ban, South Dakota, Tennessee with another six-week ban, Texas with a six-week ban, Utah with a near-total ban, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming, and the states likely to completely ban abortion, um, according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is where all these statistics are from, Florida, Indiana, Montana, and Nebraska. So these 26 states means that over half the states in the U.S. in the USA will have very, very strict laws on abortion. And with the six-week and eight-week laws, those are very controversial because when when a woman is pregnant at six or eight weeks, it is usually 
when a woman is pregnant at six or eight weeks, it could be before they even knew they were pregnant. So the pro-choice argument is that how will they know if you can't decide that you're pregnant before six or eight weeks? Why is it it's not fair to fully enact a ban before that time? Or even if they do know, abortion is an issue that it takes a lot of time to deliberate and a lot of time to self-reflect and a lot of time to figure out within yourself. So how are you supposed to do that within this limited period of time? Pro-choice arguments say it's not fair. The pro-life arguments say that when a life begins at conception, you know, like pro-lifers say that you can only, when that as soon as a sperm fertilizes an egg, it is life. And that taking away that life would be a restriction of the fetus's bodily autonomy. And I think that just goes to the major question of the argument is, is a fetus in charge of their own bodily autonomy or is the woman entitled to more bodily autonomy? And I think that all reflects back to that because autonomy is essentially at the key of this issue. Now, personally, for me, I believe that it is a woman's choice. And I don't, personally for me, it's completely the woman's right to autonomy considering that a fetus is feeding off off of the mother and living within wait and living within an organ of the woman it is not fair to deny a woman's body because when you deny a woman's body then you're denying them their essential liberties and you're denying them their own constitutional rights because within the 14th amendment it says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of state of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any persons of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within the jurisdiction equal protection of laws. So this says that all persons born or naturalized has the right to all of these liberties within the United States. And a fetus is not not born or naturalized. It is still a fetus living within the body of another person. So that is the constitutional protection over abortion, which we lie. And considering the Supreme Court is supposed to protect constitutional liberties, which we have in America, I do not believe that this draft will in any sense be constitutional and and won't be substantially supported by scientific evidence but because it won't have any in scientific evidence because doctors consider 22 weeks the earliest age when a baby is can survive on its own and if you restrict abortion prior to up after six or eight weeks then that's miles before the 22 week stand so you're i mean you're saying a fetus who cannot survive on its own who cannot survive without the support without feeding off the mother you're saying that that is that autonomy, that say, that unspoken choice, if you will, is more important or more viable than the mother who has been alive and might not be able to fiscally or biologically because a mother could die giving birth. So fiscally or biologically survive having a child. And then that goes to the pro-life argument about sending this child to, you know, CPS or the foster care system. And the, the, the fact of the matter is that the CPS, the foster care and uh, adoption are not getting the funding to 
support all these children that will be sent into the system. Because the problem that I see myself with the pro-life argument is that if you are going to restrict abortion, you need to put money into the foster care system. It's an unbalanced force and it's an unequal opportunity because you're sending children to a corrupt system, first of all, because there's a big chunk um, There's tw- that children in group homes are 28 times more likely to be abused. So it's a corrupt, it's a corrupt system, first of all. And you're not giving it any funding to support the massive overflow because it's already the foster care system is already being overflowed and pushed to the max. So if you're denying abortion and sending all these children to the foster care system without fiscally supporting the foster care system to to provide for this overflow, then you're just making this a corrupt system and a non-supported system. You're making it 10 times worse and you're making it all the more dangerous, you know, and I just, I don't think that that's fair to, the, to, to children. And I don't think that's fair to a mother who will have to give up a child because even though you're giving up your child because you cannot support them, that does not mean you don't love the child. You, as a mother, you have to give them up to a place where you know is corrupt. And that just puts guilt on the mother and guilt on the mother to keep this child who they can't, they also can't fiscally, usually it's fiscally support because um, the causes for abortion, almost half, um, a study study by the LA Times found over half of mothers just can't fiscally support a child. And that's a leading cause for abortion within the United States. Also, abortions, like will keep happening no matter what the legality of it is. You know, unsafe abortions are bound to happen still because if you deny the person the right to do something legally and safely, they'll do it illegally and unsafely. So so in, a, in countries where abortion is illegal, only one in four abortions are considered safe. None of them are legal, but only one in four abortions are safe, but in countries where abortion is legal, nine in 10 abortions are done safely. And that's just a huge barrier. And we're protecting women. We're protecting people to be safe, to have a choice, to have their liberties and be safe while doing it. And I think that's just massively, it's an accomplishment. If you can protect, if you can protect the mother's life and protect their choice, isn't that the massive, isn't that, shouldn't that be the goal? And 68,000 women die annually of unsafe abortions. It is one of the leading causes of maternal mortality. And of the women who survive an unsafe abortion, 5 million of them suffer long-term health complications. 68,000 women die and 5 million suffer long-term health complications. That's just a crazy number that will only be further increased and further impacted by the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Because pro-lifers make the argument that even if abortion is legal in your state, you can fly to another state to have an abortion, which is true, but only for people who are fiscally able to do so. And if you're not economically able to do so, it's, you, you will have to results to 
unsafe abortions and we'll have to find that risk, that terrible risk of having long-term complications or even possibly passing away just to have your liberties. Because the fact of the matter is the pro-life movement unequally targets marginalized groups because those are the groups who will not be able to fiscally support a child. And those are the groups who will be able to fiscally manage flying to another country or another state to get their liberties. And it's just further restriction of autonomy on marginalized groups. In short, the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade will restrict abortion access in over half the states in the United States. And that is just what is predicted predicted as of currently. And this overturn, in my opinion, will have terrible, terrible consequences. But the draft, the the final decision on the draft, because it's not yet decided, will come out in what is predicted by Politico in two months. So in short, the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade will cause massive waves in will cause massive waves in society and will only increase the division already put into place of the pro-life and pro-choice movements. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa, for taking over to this week's episode. Um, Those are Marissa's opinions. If you'd like to find more of us, The Young Perspective, you can find us at the underscore young underscore perspective. Our website is theyoungperspective.net. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, this was The Young Perspective.